0: Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Thursday, June 16th, and today, Tara Palmieri stops by to put a spotlight on the star of the January 6th hearings, Liz Cheney. She has some strange new respect from Democrats who hate Donald Trump, but can that love from the left save Cheney from getting voted out of Congress this year? And later on, Tina Wynn stops by with some key takeaways from Tuesday's primaries. We'll hear about all that and more on today's episode of Powers That Be. Happy Thursday to the Puck Universe. I'm joined today by Tara Palmieri. And Tara, you... You and I should talk today because uh, the third installment of the January 6th hearings kick off today. And I would say the star player among those committee members is Liz Cheney, right? Like she's Absolutely. she's the one who, other than Adam Kinzinger, is, is the only Republican. She's been flaming Trump, mm-hmm. you know, ever since back in the day, but especially after uh, his election loss and the insurrection, she's been, you know, I think pretty principled about democracy, her conservatism. But something interesting has happened in the Trump era, which is Republicans who attack Trump or criticize Trump or leave the party gain what's called in Washington strange new respect from Democrats.
1: Totally.
0: <laughs> uh, all of a sudden, Liz Cheney is a hero to Democrats, a hero to the resistance, but she's still really conservative at the same time she's facing a Republican primary challenger this year in Wyoming. Right. Are Democrats in Washington or Democrats you've talked to. You also spent some some time in Wyoming on a reporting trip when you were at Politico. Can they help Liz Cheney get reelected? Can they help Liz Cheney run for president against Trump? Or is she just in political purgatory where there, there's a no-win situation for her politically and she's just going to go down fighting on her principles?
1: Yeah, I think it's more likely that. I mean, she could end up at the Brookings Institute. She could end up <laughs> on CNN. <laughs> She could end up in a lot of different places, but doesn't look like she will end up in the Capitol. Um, at least not as a member of Congress. Yeah, I I remember just like weeks after the insurrection, I went to Wyoming and like I went for that Matt Gates rally and I was in shock by the level of support for Trump and the vitriol towards her for voting for impeachment. So there's not a lot of love for her in Wyoming. And I went back to Wyoming recently for a Harriet Hageman rally. But then I realized there that like I felt like the story wasn't so much about, oh, Cheney's going to get trounced, but more that Republicans were genuinely worried that Democrats would organize and figure out a way to help Cheney in the primaries. And that's why they tried to change this crossover election rule, where in Wyoming, you can actually- change your party affiliation on the day of the primary. So you could be Mm -hmm. a Democrat and vote for a Republican on the primary and then switch back to being a Democrat. There's no like process where you have to mail in three weeks before, yada, yada, yada. It's just very simple. It lends itself where the more that Cheney is a crusader on behalf of the resistance and the Democrats, the more likely that those voters will come out and possibly support her, right? Against Harriet Hageman, who pretty much has the wide stretch of the Republican Party in Wyoming, where I think Trump won by 70 points, actually, in Wyoming. So.
0: Yeah, that was like, Wyoming's one of the two states that we had the biggest margin.
1: Totally. And these aren't just like, these are like real Trumpers. You know what I'm saying? I remember like pre-vaccine, they were saying like, don't wear a mask. And I was in like some biker bars getting like looked at weird for wearing masks. It's not. But like, point is, (laughs) Wyoming, very much red. And I went to Jackson, which is like, kind of the more liberal bastion. A lot of people from California, other places came there during the pandemic.
0: Jackson's like the blue dot in the red ocean, like the rich ski town, like where it's so expensive to buy like a house or even an apartment now. Yeah, yeah.
1: Totally. And so I just was sort of curious, like, is this phenomenon real? Like, are the Republicans right to worry about a switch? And also Cheney doesn't really spend a lot of time in Wyoming. And she went to a press event (laughs) recently to celebrate the press. And she went to a ticketed event in Wyoming, in Jackson. So a ticketed event in Jackson where she would normally not be welcome. She was there. And it was about democracy, the conversation, obviously. And there were some like Harriet Hageman hecklers that were planning to go and blah, blah, blah. But the point is, I I spoke to a lot of people on the ground in Jackson who were like, yeah, she makes me ill, but I'm going to vote for her because she pisses off Trump and there's no way in hell a Democrat will ever win in Wyoming. So we might as well pick our Republican, right? But then like, National Democrats, though, are kind of getting swept up in this like anti-Trump fever. And now some of them are like, yeah, I gave money to Cheney. Like she's killing it on the floor in the Jan 6 hearing. (sighs) But then others are like, you idiot. Like we're going to get killed in the midterms. We don't need any money in Wyoming. She already has raised about $9 million this cycle. There's no, she could buy a TV station in Wyoming and it probably wouldn't help her. And there's just sort of this like fervor. But at the same time, like, literally just last week, she voted against the Protecting Our Children Gun Control Act, you know? <laughs> so it's like, she voted with Trump, but 93% of the time. So it's like, yeah. there's like this ill, like these feelings of like, oh, warm and fuzzy is Cheney. And then also everybody feels like their Twitter account has so much impact and that they're like the biggest fundraiser, operative grassroots person of all time. So it's like, there's like real existential questions going on and massive group texts and chats about like, what do we do about Liz Cheney? You know, it's just- (laughs) Yeah,
0: this must must drive national democratic strategists like batty because remember in 2020 and 2018, actually, there were like these buzzy House and Senate candidates on the Democratic side, like Amy McGrath in Kentucky Mm. is a great example, Jamie Harrison in South Carolina, Sarah Gideon in Maine, and Democrats on the internet- who stay up every night watching Lawrence O'Donnell were like throwing money at these buzzy candidates like Amy McGrath who had cool viral TV ads and they were lost causes. And like people were raising their hands on other campaigns being like, yo, can we have some money? Because we might be able to win this governor's race in Kansas, you know, which is very unsexy. But like this must drive Democrats nuts that people on the internet, small dollar people are giving money to a Republican who voted with Trump most of the time, who was a hardcore like hawkish conservative, and that could be taking money from somewhere else. I don't know how much money we're talking about, but the the overall trend Mm -hmm. of Democrats just like chasing the shiny metal object um, with small dollars is something that aggravates Democrats in Washington to no end.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was speaking to a lot of Democrats that were like, this is, you know, lots of expletives about why this is ridiculous and like, someone said to me, which I thought was kind of interesting, if you were to take the money, time, social media posts by Democrats for Liz Cheney and use that for anything else in the democratic ecosystem, maybe we could actually win elections. <laughs> I was like, yeah, not a bad point, <laughs> you know? Because it's really just like not going anywhere in Wyoming. And, it, and somebody else said to me like, you're not getting Lisa Murkowski. You're basically getting Matt Gates with, <laughs> with, right. with Liz Cheney. I mean, she really does vote. She's a very conservative Republican. Also, the louder National Democrats are for Cheney, the, it hurts her more at home. That's what I was saying. Yeah. Like, it only
0: makes her opponent stronger. Like, totally. Democrats are helping her vote for me.
1: It's all bad any way you slice it.
0: So, she clearly came out against Trump, supported impeachment after January 6th. She could have stepped aside, And not run again. Why did she decide to run again? She just wants to go down fighting?
1: I don't know. I think you can't raise money unless you're running, right? I'm not positive about that. But I would think that, like, if she ultimately does want to run as a Republican in a a primary, she probably needs to continue to raise money. I think she's just, she'd rather go down in flames and, like, or maybe, who knows, maybe Cheney comes out at the end and sees the poll and she's like, I'm not going to be embarrassed by this and I'm not going to run. Like, she ultimately, like, concedes in the end.
0: One more thing I want to ask you, we talked about this the other day um, because you used to work for James Goldstein, ABC, who's producing the um, hearings right. for the House committee. We've watched two of them so far. How do you think they're going? Are people going to get indicted? Are they dramatic? <laughs> like, what, what are your takeaways just generally?
1: The whole, like, are people going to get indicted question is a good one. But I think that's more about Merrick Garland. And I did write about this, that, like, if there's, like, a lot of political fever coming out of this committee, it's likely to not move him. I thought it was really compelling what they said about the fund to take back the election, the one that they raised $250 million for, something like that, that they were mm-hmm. just paying Kimberly Guilfoyle 60 k just to announce Don Jr. at a January 6th rally. Now, that didn't even make it in the committee hearing that happened afterwards, which I thought was interesting.
0: I thought the second hearing was really interesting mm-hmm. because of the grift stuff. Mm-hmm. I think Zoe Lofgren came out and said like, or someone asked her if that was like wire fraud. She's like, I don't know. Someone should look into that right. because yeah. it's not surprising Trump or his people around him would just use this as an opportunity to like raise money to line their own pockets. Right. Also like Jonathan Martin and Alex Burns' book, This Will Not Pass, has a really good section on, on on this like period between the election itself and January 6th. And also in there, like the Georgia elections the whole stop the steal mm-hmm. thing metastasized. And I do think they really showed how Trump was told by people in his own family <laughs> and his closest advisors that, bro, you lost. Right. And he went in the other direction, followed drunk Rudy's, you know, go out and declare a victory. Like there's ballots out there. Anyway, like I think that having Trump people on camera telling the committee, telling Trump, telling the country And these lawyers who were doing the depositions that, hey, Biden won the election for the historical record, at least. I know I wish these people came out and said it like at the time, but like I thought that was at least valuable. I don't think it'll they'll get indicted for anything, but I do think that was useful. And maybe it'll peel off one out of 10 brainwashed stop the steal people to see. Jason Miller and Stepien and Ivanka and Jared be like Biden won, but who knows?
1: But they're still working for Trump. That's the crazy part. I mean, like Stepien is still very much in Trump world, even though he said he took a step back. You know, he's still been advising him.
0: Oh, Stepien's doing Liz Cheney's primary challenger too.
1: Yeah, Hageman. Everyone is. Yeah. And so they're still not like completely out of Trump world. I mean, I talked to someone who's very close to Trump and they were like, he doesn't like when people talk about him and it gets out. But these aren't people like Bill Barr, who then writes a book and, you know, says, F it, I'm going to burn it down. I don't care about my relationship with Trump. Like, it's just people who are still very much in his world, still managing campaigns. They have access to Trump. That is what makes them so valuable. And it's like they've, for the hearing, they seem like they're distant to Trump, but very much still part of his inner circle. Hmm.
0: That's interesting. All right, Tara, thank you. Let's plan a reporting trip to Jackson Hole before the primary. Let's talk to John about that and see if we can pull it off.
1: Totally. We can go horseback (laughs) riding because there won't be any snow, but I do love it No, it's great.
0: It's great in the summer there.
1: Yeah, I'm down. All right. (laughs) Look
0: at us blue state elites talking about how lovely Jackson is. Um, (laughs) All right, cool. I'll see you next time.
1: Talk soon. (laughs) Thanks. Bye.
0: Welcome back, everyone. Now, let's take a quick minute to see what's going on with Tina Wynn on her beat right now.
2: Thanks, Peter. So I'm taping this segment the day after Tuesday's primaries, both in South Carolina and in Nevada, which both had races that indicate not just what sort of hold Trump has on the party, but also what sort of narratives are animating the base. Uh, South Carolina, for instance, I think, was a purely Trump-driven moment. There were two candidates that were up for re-election against Trump. Nancy Mace, freshman congresswoman who condemned Trump vocally, after January 6th and said that he needed to do more to stop the violence. Yeah, absolutely. There should be accountability for those actions from the president on down and people do need to be held accountable. And Tom Rice in South Carolina, who went one step further and said, not only was Trump responsible for violence on January 6th, he voted to impeach Trump. It wasn't that hard. It was clear to me what I had to do. I was livid, I'm livid today about it. I took an oath to protect the constitution and I did it then and I would do it again tomorrow. The results in this race were a little interesting in how mixed they were. Uh, On one hand, Nancy Mace kept her office and beat a trump backed challenger. And while she didn't uh, reverse her statements on violence, she did go out of her way to make sure that she said that she had a Trumpist agenda and not really poke the bear too much. Hey everyone, Congresswoman Nancy Mace here.
1: I'm in front of Trump Tower today. And um, I remember in 2015 when President Trump announced his run. I was one of his earliest supporters. I supported him again in 2020 because of policies I believed in.
2: On the other hand, Rice doubled down and said, I am doing this for democracy. He's not allowed to bully us. You
1: didn't voted to impeach I Trump. I am, yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> You're doing wrong there, buddy. I'm not sorry for my
2: vote. I think I did the right thing. And the dynamic of one Trump critic winning while with one Trump critic losing. I think is sort of an interesting indication of where the base currently is. Do they really hate Trump that much that they want to get him out? Or are they just sort of like, oh, okay, yeah, Trump's embarrassing. Let's just move on from it. Can you please not remind us how Trump was bad? I just want to forget this completely altogether. But the results in the Nevada Republican primaries have been super interesting to me. Because back in 2020, there were a handful of states that claimed that there was some sort of voter election fraud that tilted the calculus of the Electoral College towards Biden. Nevada was not just one of them. It was one that really made the base pissed off. If you recall election night, when Fox News called that state for Biden before any other network did.
1: The Fox News decision desk can now project that former Vice President Joe Biden will win Pennsylvania and Nevada, putting him over the 270 electoral votes he needs
0: to become the 46th president of the United States.
2: It sort of set off this giant firestorm crisis point within the Trump MAGA QAnon phase at the time, thinking, oh, my God, Fox News is clearly a tool of the elite trying to take away our elections. It ended up being one of the hubs for people claiming election fraud. Out of that morass of insanity came a whole bunch of election fraud claiming, conspiracy-oriented candidates, um, including Tom Marchand. Now keep in mind, I met Marchand at Mike Lindell's Cyber Symposium. If you forget who Mike Lindell is, he's the MyPillow CEO who was behind a lot of claims of Trump's election fraud and was so bought into this idea that the election was stolen that he poured hundreds of thousands of dollars of his own money into these giant cyber symposiums that tried to prove that some coalition of George Soros, Hunter Biden, and the CCP hacked into certain voting machines and switched the votes from Trump to Biden.
1: I have the evidence
2: and I have validated it with the best in the world. Why did I wait to break, pierce that media? And why do I have to do that when I already have it proven? These claims were never proven. And when I attended, it didn't even seem like they had any sort of evidence other than I said so, here's like, an Excel spreadsheet full of numbers. But the fact that Marjan was there, believed something had been stolen, and then when proven wrong, doubled down and said, we're going to keep investigating this because we really believe the election has been stolen. That should tell you all you really need to know about this uh, caucus. This guy is now the Republican candidate for Secretary of State, a.k.a. the... Guy who makes sure that the election ballots are counted correctly. I don't think I have to spell it out exactly how dire this is for election security in Nevada if this guy should win. He was literally hanging out with Mike Lindell, of all people, at the cybersecurity conference where he claimed that George Soros was hacking into Dominion machines. Like, that's the level of conspiracy that we're dealing with right now. So pay attention not just to races where Trump was challenging people, but races in states that were key hubs of election fraud claims. So Pennsylvania was one of them. And you've got Doug Mastriano running for governor there who has made his entire candidacy based on the premise that the election was stolen. Nevada, you're seeing that as well. Michigan is going to be one of those places. Arizona will definitely be one of those places. If the QAnon conspiracy election fraud narrative yields candidates that win in those races, regardless of whether or not they like Trump. And that's important. They might they don't necessarily have to like Trump in order to run on this platform. I think that's something you should really be paying contention to in the future. With those two points in mind, the primaries are going to be absolutely fascinating. And I will be back pretty much after every Tuesday in the next couple of weeks to keep you all posted.